Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We are going to be in 1 Samuel tonight. We're going to move into chapter 11. We're going to be talking about the king and the kingdom at war. We're going to talk about the Christian life. And we're going to draw some parallels between the Old Testament text that we're going to deal with tonight and the struggle that we do have as believers. And uh, I think you're going to find a lot of application tonight and a lot that is going to hit home and a lot that we share together in terms of the struggle, but sometimes it's hard to talk about because we don't want to admit to people that we struggle. Uh, We don't want to admit to people that the Christian life can be challenging and bumpy. Uh, But that's what we're going to do tonight. So let's prepare our hearts one more time. Father, Thank you for tonight. Thank you for all the precious people that have come out to seek your face. That's what we want to do as Pastor Chris prayed. We want to know you better. We've come here to to know you, Lord, not just to learn about you, but to know you. To know that you are sensitive to our struggle. Indeed, Hebrews 4 teaches that you empathize and sympathize with what we go through. And uh, you were tempted in all points yet without sin. And you're able, Hebrews 2.18 says, to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And so, Lord, uh, oftentimes we're tempted to give up. Oftentimes we're tempted to give in to sin. And I pray that you'd make us stronger because we are here tonight. The battle indeed belongs to the Lord, and that's where we need to find our refuge and strength is in you. Um, The battle does rage, but it belongs to you. You're stronger than all of it. You're greater than anything that we face. And so tonight, Lord, we lay this time at your feet and pray that you'd minister to each of our souls. We'll be stronger. Uh, Come out the other side of this Bible study ready to serve you in deeper ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the New Testament paints a picture of the believer being at war. And uh, there are three primary areas where we are at war. Um, The first area is the war with the flesh. So I want you to hold a place in 1 Samuel and go to Romans 7. Romans 7 is that famous chapter that many of us, it's a go-to chapter, Romans 7, because there Paul is honest about his own struggle, and it's refreshing for us to see that even the great apostle Paul, who went all over the Roman world winning souls and uh, taking rocks and everything else that he had to deal with, and he said these words, Romans 7, Romans 7, 23. He said, But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Then he cries, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? The answer comes in the next verse. The answer is found in Jesus Christ. If you go to the book of James, a little uh, farther back in the New Testament, the book of James, chapter 4, this is verse 1. James is identifying the source of problems that happen to people. And he says, what is the source, James 4, 1, of quarrels and conflicts among you? James 4, 1. What is the source of conflicts and quarrels among you? Wouldn't you like to know? Wouldn't you like to know what the source of your arguments are all about? 
Why do we quarrel so much? Why do we have so much conflict in life? Well, James says, is not the source your pleasures that wage, what? War in your members. Remember, I'm telling you that the New Testament paints a picture of a war. The first area of war that you have is your flesh. Now, it would be easy for all of us to pin the tail on the problem being, you know, it's, it's some influence over here. It's, it's some spiritual power over there. Look, there's evidence in the New Testament and in the Bible, for that matter, that spiritual struggles do occur. We'll get to that in a moment. That's one of our categories. But more often than not, it seems to me that the Bible's saying the problem is our flesh. The problem is that we give in to the fruits of the flesh. The flesh wants it way, its way, and we often give in to it. If you turn to 1 Peter, just, just go to the right a couple pages. 1 Peter 2, look, look at verse 11. 1 Peter 2, 11. Peter says the same thing. He, said, he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, the idea is you're just passing through this life, to what? Abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. I mean, the Bible is saying to us that when we don't abstain, there, there's, a, there's enough of a war going on, but when we give in, we lose battles and we lose ground. If you go to 2 Corinthians, turn back now towards the Gospels. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul uses war imagery in a second category. So the first Im- imagery, if you're taking notes, is the flesh. We war against the flesh. There's only one way to win a war with your flesh. Don't feed it. The next uh, verse is 2 Corinthians 10. We'll look at uh, verse 3. Let me say that one more time. The only way to win a war with your flesh is don't feed it. The more you feed your flesh, the more powerful it becomes. The more you starve it, the weaker it becomes. So you have to starve sin and feed the inner man. There's going to be times in your Christian life when dealing with sin and temptation is going to feel like smooth sailing. It's not going to be that big of a deal for you. Certain areas you know, you've had victory in will be no big deal. And then you'll turn a corner one day and you'll go, what in the world is happening to me? It seems like the gates of hell have opened up and every onslaught of the enemy seems to be magnified times a thousand. What is going on? And it's at those times that you have to buckle down, get into your Bible, and just hold on to Christ because he's not going to let you go. The second area that we have war as Christians is in the area of ideas and ideals. That is... Uh, uh, the the struggle is for uh, truth and uh, what will win the day. Look at 2 Corinthians 10.3. It says, though we walk in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 10.3, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against Notice, the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You can be certain of this. The enemy works in the area of ideas. Ideas have consequences. That's why truth is so important. 
That's why we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In this imagery, people are pictured, get this now, they're pictured as being in fortresses, strongholds of delusion. They've gone in there thinking that there's a place of safety there, but it's turned out to be a prison for them. And what demolishes the strongholds of lies and deception is the truth. The truth will set you free. So when we are arguing for Christian truth, when we are dealing with a culture that has lost its, its uh, moorings and its morality, we are fighting a war for ideas. Whose ideas will win the day? Right now we're in a marriage battle. There's a whole battle going on for the definition of marriage. Whose definition will win the day? Somebody's definition is going to win. Somebody's definition is going to be held up as the standard. This is an example of what we're talking about. We could talk about evolution. We could talk about the myriads of souls that have hung their hat on a lie that has been disproven easily by scientific evidence. You don't even need the Bible to disprove Darwinian evolution. And yet it is taught as fact pretty much in schools, in public schools. But can you get any creation teaching in there? Oh, everybody's you know all upset about that. Ideas have consequences. If you write down 2 Corinthians 6.3, Paul says, giving no offense for any offense in anything in order that the ministry may not be discredited. Go back, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, look at verse uh, 6. This is how you win the battle. This has to do with gospel ministry now. 6.6, 6. in purity and knowledge and patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and genuine love, 2 Corinthians 6.7, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. We're in a war. We've got to acknowledge it. We're in a spiritual war, a war against the flesh, a war for ideas and ideals. And then lastly, we're in a spiritual battle. If you go uh, a few pages to the right, pass up Galatians, go to Ephesians chapter 6. This is the famous armor of God. We won't go through it all, but I just want to show you a few verses uh, against the spiritual war now. So we have the, the war for against the flesh, the war for ideas, and now the spiritual battle. Finally, Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For, does Paul say, my struggle? No. Verse 12, Ephesians 6 says, For what? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In light of this, take up the full armor of God. It is our struggle. Together we have it. The sooner that we acknowledge that it's a struggle, I think we can take a deep breath. Okay, it's our struggle. It's everybody. Everybody's involved in the struggle. It can be a war out there. It can be hard to be a consistent Christian. We have to acknowledge that. And the New Testament does paint this picture of warfare. And it says, if you go back now to 1 Samuel, that God's given you provisions for that war. I've written on this. We're going through a re-edit of the book. And uh, I've said in the book, one of the major premises of suit up, put on the full armor of God, is that for every tactic of the enemy, God gives you a provision from his spirit. 
The enemy is a liar, so he gives you a belt of truth. The enemy is evil, so he gives you a breastplate of righteousness. The enemy tries to get you to doubt your salvation and try to mess with your mind, and you have a helmet of salvation. And in each piece of the armor in Ephesians 6, you can see the reflection of the enemy. You can see how he works. In other words, the armor is custom designed for the typical ways that the enemy comes at you. When that's re-edited, get a copy of it, because I think it'll help you in your everyday life. Now, in 1 Samuel, where we are in chapter 11, we have met a very hesitant new leader. He has been chosen as the king. He's been anointed. But as we left off last week, they said uh, they were drawn lots, and the lot fell to Saul, and they said, where is he? (laughs) And uh, they were like, I don't know. And the Lord revealed, uh, he's hiding over there in the baggage. Remember that? And we talked about your baggage and how sometimes your baggage is where you, you tend to hide out or you fall back to the things that are considered your baggage. And there's, there's Saul. So Saul comes forward. They run to get him. And there's some uh, traces that we saw to the story of Achan in the book of Joshua. And, and Saul had to be concerned. But he stood head and shoulders above the rest. And now the people shout, long live the king and valiant men. Look at 1 Samuel 10, 26. Their hearts had been touched by God and he had some support. Maybe this is his army or his generals. Uh, God had touched their heart and, and they went with him. But certain worthless men, this is 1 Samuel 10, 27, said, how can this one deliver us? And they despised him. They didn't even send him a Christmas card. But he, (laughs) that's my interpretation, but he held his peace. Now that's where we are. Saul has done nothing in the official capacity of a king. I even hinted that some scholars say that when he first felt the rushing of the spirit, some believe that he should have taken on the Philistines right at that point, but he did not do that. Saul returns home. But there's going to be a crisis that arises that's going to bring his leadership forward. And sometimes, you know, th- this is kind of how it works in life, right? Maybe you, maybe you have uh, sensed that you're supposed to be a leader in a certain area of ministry or whatever. And then there's going to be a, a time. There's going to be a door that opens. There's going to be, maybe it's going to be a crisis moment where you're going to have to lead. And that's what's going to happen to Saul. Here's the crisis. It says, now Nahash, the Ammonite, this is 1 Samuel 11, verse 1, came up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. Now across the Jordan River, some 40 miles northeast of Saul's home in Gibeah, there's the crisis for these people of Jabesh of Gilead. They're on the east side of the Jordan River. They're in the territory of the tribe of Manasseh. The Ammonites from the east menace the people of Jabesh-Gilead. They're in grave danger. And what the language says is that Nahash has besieged this location. And that has two ideas. It, it can mean that he planted his tent there and he was threatening them. He, he was a presence saying, I'm about to attack you. Or more literally, he had actually taken the town or taken the area. And now he was in a position of power. Now he had everybody at his, his feet, if you were, if you will. And uh, now the people are saying, okay, Nahash, 
you've come in, you've taken our city, you've taken our town, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. Interestingly enough, Nahash means serpent. Nakash is the uh, Hebrew word that we normally see in this kind of context. And if you think of Nahash or Nahash, his name means literally moving or whisper. This is one of those words that when you say it, you got it. Nahash. And when you start thinking of the serpent, you know how he is. <laughs> right? The whispering, slithery serpent. Isn't it interesting? This guy who shows up, his name means the snake. And he's saying to the people, hey, I've got you now. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with you. And the people, I think, in a moment of desperation say, hey, make a covenant with us. Okay, we know you've got the upper hand. Let's make a deal. We will serve you. We will cut a covenant. The word for covenant is berit in uh, Hebrew. In the Hebrew picture language, a covenant literally means the sign or the cross of my son. Or you could have it this way, the son of the cross. A covenant in its root meaning means to cut. Jesus was cut for us at the cross. He shed his blood. He cut the new covenant in his blood. That's how you get saved. And in ancient times, when you cut a covenant, it was very literal. You would often cut animal pieces to secure the covenant. Back in, the, in Genesis 15, when God made an unconditional covenant with Abraham, he had him cut animal pieces, and God, God passed through the pieces while uh, Abram was in a deep sleep because the covenant was wholly dependent on God. And literally the covenant was cut. And what they would do is they would cut the animals and they would say, may what happened to this animal happen to me if I don't keep the covenant. I'm thinking of putting that back into wedding ceremonies. I think that would be a good warning when people are taking their vows. Don't you think that would be excellent? No? (laughs) So we gain the victory through his work on the cross. We gain the victory over the nakash, over the snake. Jesus made a, uh, a spectacle of principalities and powers. He triumphed over them through the cross. That's Colossians 2.15. It's how Jesus won the victory for us. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, I will make it with you on this condition. Have you noticed, whenever you're in a tough spot and you're looking to make a covenant with those that you shouldn't be making a covenant with, There's always a condition. God has cut an unconditional covenant with us based upon the finished work of his son. Satan likes to cut covenants too. But he always has conditions. He says, hey, you can have this and this and that, but uh, I just need one thing from you. It was fairly minor. He said, this is the condition. I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you. Thus, I will make it a reproach on all Israel. Okay, you guys want me to go soft on your town? You guys want to cut a covenant with me? I'm sure that the leaders of this area were desperate to save their wives and children and family. I mean, what would you do if this guy's got you by the neck and he's ready to devastate your town? 
People do desperate things in desperate moments. And the people said, look, we'll serve you. Please don't kill us all. I think that's what they're saying. Please. I mean, how many of our brethren are in this situation right now? Where people are saying, you, you need to say you're this. You need to, you need to you know, renounce your faith in Christ. Otherwise, this is going to happen to you. The serpent will happily make a covenant with you, but it will always cost you something very precious. How precious are your eyes to you? The evangelist Ray Comfort often says to people, would you sell me your eyes for a million dollars? And people say, no way. I would not sell you my eyes for $10 million, $10 billion. And Jesus said, well, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It'd be better that you lose your eye than have your eyes full and enter into eternal judgment. You know, we're, we're not used to talking to people like that, but are we that serious about heaven and hell that we would say to somebody, look, you're, you wouldn't sell your eyes for $10 million, but you'd sell your soul for what? Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gains not a city block, not his own private island or Idaho? <laughs> I don't know why that entered my mind, but... <laughs> But if you gain the whole world, it wouldn't be worth it because you would forfeit your what? Wow. That's the kind of terms that Jesus is talking about. He said it wouldn't even be worth it if you gain the whole world. Uh, Pastor John was telling me about a movie. He goes, do you remember this movie about the Yankees? I won't say the first name of the movie. But it was about a guy, I guess he was a ball player. or He loved baseball and he sold his soul to the devil. And uh, finally came to his senses at the end of the movie. I never saw the movie. It was before my time, which disappointed Pastor John. (laughs) I'm sorry. But I like the premise of the movie, right? And, you know, we might think, well, that's just, those are stories. You know, people don't literally sell their souls for success, do they? Hmm. Do you know how many stories there are that are coming out about the up-and-coming uh, rock artists and stars in our culture who have Christian backgrounds? Do you know that Miley Cyrus was interviewed by Barbara Walters when she was probably 16 years old? And Barbara Walters asked Miley Cyrus, I watched this interview personally, what is going to keep you from getting yourself in trouble And following the ways of all these child stars that go off the deep end into drugs and alcohol and all this stuff. And Miley Cyrus said, my faith. My faith. In who? She claimed to be a Christian, her faith in Jesus Christ. Can she come back? Certainly she can. But here's here's the point. Yeah, you can have what you want. All it's going to cost you is your right eye. But there's something even deeper here. I want you to see what Nahash says. He says, look, I don't want to just gouge out your right eye. My goal is to make it a reproach, would you mark it, on all Israel. When when this happens, when we cut the covenant, I'm going to cut your eye out. But I'm not going to just cut your eye out just to cut it out. I'm going to do it so that you will be a bunch of fools to everybody else who thinks that your God is so great. 
See, what I really want to do is make a fool out of you. I'd like to make you a walking reproach. I hope you can see the deeper lesson here of how the enemy works. See, he doesn't want to just take something precious from you. He wants you to be a reproach. He wants the name of Christ dragged through the mud. It's the battle. This is where it lies. This is what is at stake. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org. Hey, this is Pastor Michael. Thank you so much again for listening to Living Truth Radio. We're blessed to have a wonderful listening audience, and we appreciate you partnering with us in prayer and in giving if you can. But we just want to say thank you for listening, tuning in. Tell a friend about Living Truth Radio and keep us in prayer. We want to just get the Word of God out to as many people as possible. Hey, I wanted to take a moment to invite you to our website. It's livingtruthcorona.org. Last time we were together, I told you a little bit about articles that are on that website, and I think they'll be very helpful for you. I want to tell you about something else on the website, and it is sermons. We have church sermons, we have radio sermons, and we have a huge archive section at livingtruthcorona.org. And in that archive section, we have complete book teachings, both Old and New Testament, in their entirety, verse by verse. Those sermons are all up there. They're all free. We give the Word of God out for free. If you want to order a CD from our ministry, contact us through the website. Let us know how we can get that into your hands. We believe in getting the Word of God out to as many people as possible and making it accessible. At livingtruthcorona.org, under sermons, you can find church, radio, and archived sermons. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio, for praying for us. May God richly bless you and your family. Hi, this is Pastor Michael, and I just want to take a moment to thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio. And, you know, when we're doing radio, folks, um, it's a little hard to tell who's listening. And we'd like to be able to uh, hear from our listening audience. And we're not asking for anything other than just drop us an email and let us know uh, if the program has been a blessing to you. We'd certainly like to hear from you. We're always looking how to best spend our stewardship dollars in terms of the ministry of radio. And so we'd like to know uh, how we're doing. And drop the email to office at livingtruthcorona.org. That's office at livingtruthcorona.org. And just let us know who you are and if you've been listening, if the program's been a blessing to you. That would really help us out, and that would be a blessing to us just to hear from some of our radio listeners. So again, drop an email to office at livingtruthcorona.org. Thank you so much for listening and praying for us and supporting us if you can. And we uh, are very appreciative of the body of Christ and pray that the Lord will bless you and your family.